back with another episode of Touching Base, the new weekly podcast series from Jen. I'm Faye Lin, Senior Editor of Gen Biotechnology, Jen's sister peer review journal publishing original research and perspectives across the biotech field. This week, we're covering a diverse lineup of news from CRISPR editing for livestock, Excientia's abrupt shift in leadership, and highlights from this month's AGBT meeting. I'm joined by Uduak Thomas, Alex Filipidis, and Juliana Lemire to dive into these stories. Make sure to tune in for part two of this episode for Juliana's interview with Christian Henry, CEO of PacBio, where they discuss the state of long read sequencing and what's next for the company. But first, let's start with some news. Uduak, tell us about the latest developments with these CRISPR edited pigs. Thanks, Faye. So I had a lot of fun working on my story for this week. As you said, I'm going to be talking about gene editing, specifically CRISPR, and a company that has used the technology to develop a new generation of edited pigs that are resistant to a virus that causes a disease called porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, or PRRS for short. Now, details of that work were provided in a paper that's been published in the most recent issue of the CRISPR journal. That's one of our very own peer-reviewed journals that covers both the science and application of gene editing. So please do feel free to check the paper out. But let's talk a little bit about what they did. So I'll start off with a bit of background before moving into the study. Let's talk about the authors and where they're from. So they are part of a company called Genus. It's a British animal genetics firm that works on improving livestock genetics for agricultural production purposes. So they have two divisions, one that's focused on bovine uh, or cattle, and the other on the subjects of this story, so pigs. Let's dig in a little bit into what PRRS is. This is a disease I actually didn't know a lot about until working on this story. It's a very deadly virus and it has actually had a pretty widespread impact on pig populations around the world uh, since it was the first discovered uh, several decades ago. During the conversation with Genus, I actually learned that until very recently, this particular disease would have been considered the top disease uh, affecting pigs. And it has had a really, really, really severe impact on livestock production over the years. So of course, given the deadly nature of uh, this disease, there have been a lot of efforts to date to try to stop uh, PRRS spread. Um, there have been vaccines that have been developed, but unfortunately, these have not been particularly effective. As with many viruses, P the PRRS virus mutates pretty quickly, and so it's eventually able to skirt the treatments, unfortunately. And also attempts to breed resistant pigs have not been particularly effective as well. There's been a lot of work done in academic labs over the years to try to understand what's going on at the genetic level to understand exactly how this virus gets in and what it does. It turns out there are multiple genes that are involved in the infection process, but the key one to care about is CD163. This particular gene encodes the entry receptor for the virus, which allows it to get into the host. So this is where CRISPR comes in. What the researchers did was use CRISPR to basically delete a single exon in the genomes of pig's zygotes. This particular exon encodes the domain that directly interacts with the virus. So this exon is found in CD163, and this is where the virus interacts. They did some testing in the pigs to ensure that the change they made was consistent across edited animals, make sure there were no off-target effects, and that CD163's function in the body remains unaffected 
protein. That's important because this protein does play an important role. It's important for things like mediating inflammation in the body. So that's a summary of the basics of, of what they did. Um, zygotes that met their criteria were then moved through the breeding process to establish the founder population of these PRRS resistant pigs. You can get more details about exactly what they did from the paper. And again, that's available in the February issue of the CRISPR journal. Meanwhile, next step for the company is getting approval from the FDA that will allow them to sell the pigs in the U.S., as well as to get approval from other regulatory agencies in other countries uh, that will allow them to sell the pigs. Thanks, Udawak. And as you say, regulatory approval is always a big question in this arena. Where do things stand in terms of securing that regulatory approval for these pigs? Absolutely. So Gina scientists told me that they are in the thick of things and so far it's going well. But it is a very long process uh, with a lot of learning along the way, because obviously we're dealing with uh, technology that's still new and evolving. I did reach out to some experts in this space to get some more details about what the process might look and really get a sense of how complicated it can be to really see what genus is, is up against here. And I learned some interesting things. So the US FDA regulates intentional genetic alterations as an animal drug. And what that means is that it requires that they be approved as animal drugs before they can be sold. This is an incredibly expensive process. It also takes many years to get approval, which of course is not guaranteed. And so that's something that's probably going to be out of reach for a lot of smaller companies, um, I learned from the experts um, who might be trying to, to break into the space. Also, any animals that are altered in this way can't be sold or used as food until there is approval. So that also adds to the mounting costs. So it's it's hard to say exactly when we might get an answer as to whether these pigs are approved, but Jesus is on the way and um, we'll definitely be keeping an eye and see, see how things shake out. And keep in mind, this is what the US FDA requires. They also are going to be seeking approval from regulatory agencies in other countries as well. So that could also add to the process of being able to sell in those countries as well. Certainly a long process, not only for approval, but also getting these pigs out into the livestock industry. Is there a plan for going that additional step? Absolutely. So Genus plans to ship aliquots of semen from edited males to customers who can then use that semen to breed their own population of edited pigs. Now, it does require two gene edited parents to get the resistance on piglets. So this is going to take a couple of generations. It's not going to happen right away. Um, and obviously, this is assuming we're assuming that the pigs are approved. One thing that's really interesting to think about is that these pigs assuming again approval, will likely eventually make their way into the food supply chain. Um, and it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how the public will respond to potentially eating pork from edited pigs. Obviously, the conversation around GMOs, as we know, has always been a really polarizing one. And depending on what people believe, there are certain reactions to, to edited, uh, there could be certain reactions to edited foods. But it will be interesting to see if there is a difference in the response, given that this modification has to do with saving pigs' lives. So it's something that's maybe more essential than perhaps uh, some sort of modification that lets pigs, I don't know, grow to twice their normal size or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see if that nuance makes a difference in how people respond. But it's something I'll definitely be keeping an eye on. And hopefully in the not too distant future, we can uh, provide an update. Thanks, Nudawak. 
Shifting to business, some unfortunate news from Excientia this week as they announced the firing of CEO Andrew Hopkins. Alex, what can you tell us about the story? Well, thanks, Faye. And this has to be anything but a happy last few days for Andrew Hopkins. The founder of Exientia was uh, fired from his job as CEO after the board concluded that he had inappropriate relations with two employees that didn't meet company standards. Now, Exientia did not furnish details, but did say that the chairman of the board, David Nicholson, resigned because he knew about one of the two relationships and because he addressed the issue by going to outside counsel instead of informing the board. Exientia has appointed its chief science officer, Dave Hallett, to the additional positions of interim CEO and also named him to the board. And the company said it'll disclose the terms of Hallett's compensation once they're set. Now, Hallett had been chief scientific officer since February of last year and joined Exientia in January 2020 as chief operations officer. And he came to Exientia from Evotech, where he was an executive vice president of uh, chemistry and later a management. Now, to replace Nicholson as chair, Exientia's board has appointed an interim uh, chair, Elizabeth Crane. Uh, she's a non-executive director and chairs the company's uh, audit committee. All these revelations came in a regulatory filing in which Exientia said it would not offer further comment, then issued a follow-up statement saying it remained committed to advancing its internal precision oncology pipeline and its collaborations with big-name partners. Now, Exientia is a pioneer of artificial intelligence or AI-based drug development. It was the first company to bring an AI drug into the clinic in 2020, DSP-1181, which was a treatment for obsessive-compulsive disorder that was jointly developed with Sumitomo Dynapon Pharma. But a year later, Sumitomo quietly ended the development uh, of that drug after disappointing phase one results. Exientia has parlayed its AI expertise into collaborations with big name biopharma companies that include Sanofi, with a collab of up to $5.2 billion in oncology and immunology, Bristol Myers Squibb, up to $1.3 billion plus partnership, and uh, Merck KGAA, which was a $20 million upfront and undisclosed milestones. Now, Exienti has since advanced the clinical trials a few other drugs, uh, including one that's a uh, selective protein kinase C-theta inhibitor co-developed with Bristol-Myers Squibb. That's in phase one, EXS4318. Then GTAEX617, which is uh, uh, being developed for a variety of cancer indications with partner GT Apiron. And also uh, a drug that was... Uh, co-partnered uh, with Sumitomo, but is now overseen by Sumitomo. It's an Alzheimer's disease psychosis candidate, DSP-0038. And close behind are a couple of uh, wholly owned preclinical candidates, at least one of which is expected to enter the clinic uh, this year. Just last week, Exientia lost its egg site 2 observational clinical study designed to support development uh, of one of those preclinical candidates, EXS74539, being developed for acute myeloid leukemia and small cell lung cancer. And just uh, on a note, having interviewed uh, Andrew a couple of times, stretching back to 2022, Kevin Davis and I uh, spoke with him at length for Close to the Edge, and later I interviewed him for a, a couple of Gen uh, stories. And uh, it's uh, really sad to see the sudden uh, abrupt end of his tenure as CEO, and certainly something I didn't uh, expect. I'm just saddened to see uh, unfold.
Alex, how do you envision this abrupt leadership shift to affect Exciantia's operations in the near future? Well, I think it depends how quickly and methodically they work to get permanent CEO and, and chair uh, in place. And I would expect that for now, they say that they're committed to their precision oncology pipeline, and that includes continuing to bring at least their furthest along candidates uh, into the clinic. They say so far they'll continue operating uh, as they can. Now, investors had uh, a negative view because on the day that the resignation became news, the shares of uh, Exientia went down about 20%. So there is at least some nervousness uh, by investors, but Again, not as much nervousness as there could have been. So there's still some waiting and seeing beyond just the initial surprise of the announcement. Thanks, Alex. Shifting to you, Juliana, you just came back from the annual Advances in Genome Biology and Technology meeting, or AGBT, last week in Orlando, Florida. This is a meeting that covers the latest developments in next-gen sequencing, single-cell genomics, spatial genomics, and more. And during your visit, we know you had a chance to sit down with Christian Henry, CEO of PacBio. We're excited to hear that interview later in the episode. This is a pretty regular meeting for you. What were some of your key takeaways this year? Yeah, thanks, Say. So as always, AGBT was a great meeting, great Friends, the genomics community all comes together at AGBT in Florida. It was in Orlando this year to talk about technologies, tools, also research trends, and it just covers every aspect of, of genomics. As always, it was really drinking from a fire hose. That's that's kind of a common theme in AGBT meetings. It's just, it is an absolute marathon. So some of the news that came out. I mean, really just breaking it down into sequencing news and then spatial biology news. So for sequencing, one of the biggest pieces of news was the launch of Ultima Genomics. So Ultima came out of stealth a year and a half ago at AGBT in June 2022, but this year was like the launch. So they came out and then this is the instrument is now ready to buy. And they came out with some really impressive statistics at the launch so they said they have 99.4% accuracy for Indel F1s, Q60 SNV accuracy. It's a 12 to 14 hour run. That's fast. They can do 20,000 genomes a year. So this is like their message was we're here, we're fast, we're high throughput, we're cheap. And, you know, that's who we are. So that was that was some news right there. Also, other companies for, with NGS news, so Element was talking about their new multi-omics capabilities on their Aviti sequencer. So now this is the Aviti 24 and they're building in, and they said this actually right when they first launched years ago, they, they said the plan was always to move beyond just DNA. And now they're, they're saying that they're doing it. So they're offering RNA, protein, protein phosphorylation, cell morphology on their Aviti 24. Similarly, Singular Genomics, which has been a, you know, they've had the G4, which is a short read sequencer. They're also coming, you know, they say by the end of 2024, is going to be selling the G4X, which is going to combine spatial and sequencing and also multi-omics. So really that was, I think, some of the trends that NGS is now moving into, well, super high throughput with the case of Ultima and also multi-omics. 
In the spatial world, well, I will say that the news started even before even before my bags were packed. So on Sunday night, we learned the news from NanoString, which was surprising that they were filing for bankruptcy chapter 11. So that really was the news that everybody came to the meeting and, and it's kind of the first talk between people about spatial because NanoString is one of the bigger companies. Um, NanoString also in their press release really said that the reason why is because of the litigation that they've been undergoing with 10x genomics. I will say that at the meeting, I sat down with Joe Beecham. Joe Beecham, who's the CSO of NanoString, he's been in NGS and Spatial for decades. And, you know, his message was clear. He said, NanoString is not going anywhere. You know, we invented this technology and we we intend to defend it. So that was kind of some of the big early news at the meeting. But other other technology advances were were coming fast and furious. Um, 10X launched their highly anticipated Visium HD. So that was really big news in the spatial community, kind of a, a whole transcriptome, high resolution version of their current Visium product. And I will say also just amazing spatial talks going on. And actually talking about the scientific talks, there was such a huge, amazing range of science being presented this year. So kind of moving out of the company suites and into the, the lecture hall, the ones that I really could not get enough of were really the ones that were about, you know, I mean, as a microbiologist, areas that I don't think that much about, like resurrection genomics. So Bridget von Holt from Princeton taught, gave a talk about ghost wolves and bringing back the red wolves and kind of repatriating them. Mark Blackster from the UK talked about, um, he so he wants to sequence every single species on earth. It's called the Earth Biogenome Project. I mean, the things that people are doing in genomics is so fascinating and so amazing. Oh, and there was talk about genomics in space from even a, an astronaut and also polar bears in Greenland. So I don't know, it's like a, genomics is just really all over. And so that was super cool. And I guess, I mean, a, there's so many other things that we could talk about, but I guess to to wrap it up and, and to just kind of introduce what you talked about, Faye, is that I did sit down with Christian Henry, the CEO of PacBio. So PacBio is historically a long read high accuracy technology and but now they've launched their short read product the Anso which was kind of an interesting move for a long read company so we talked about where PacBio is right now where long reads are right now why they're moving into short reads they're talking about an ultra high throughput machine which with the the NovaSeq X is ultra high throughput so is the now the new Ulta machine that was just launched so you know why are they getting into that super crowded space so he filled me in on on all of the answers to those questions about PacBio and where they're headed in the future. Thanks, Juliana. We're looking forward to your interview with Christian after this quick break. This episode of Touching Base is brought to you by Gen Biotechnology, the marquee peer-reviewed journal from the publishers of Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News. Launched two years ago, Gen Biotechnology publishes exceptional research, reviews, opinion, and analysis across the biotech spectrum from genomics and symbio to AI and drug development. The journal features an outstanding editorial team, which is led by chief editor, Hannah Al-Samad, senior VP at Altos Labs in California. Gem Biotechnology has already published exciting original research on gene editing to boost vitamin D tomatoes, CRISPR-based pest control, base editing delivery in a single AAV vector, and cost-effective 3D printing. 
Plush Gym Biotechnology has featured exclusive interviews with biotech CEOs, insights from Wall Street financial analysts, and news features from gym reporters covering the state of aging research, AI and protein design, and advances in organon chips. Gem Biotechnology is the new choice for novel and groundbreaking advances in the biotech field. Learn more at www.gembiotechjournal.com. Welcome back to Touching Base, the new podcast series from Jen. In this segment, Juliana Lemire chats with Christian Henry, CEO of PacBio, on where PacBio is today, the state of long-read sequencing, and what's next for the company in the future. Let's tune in. Hi, Christian. Hi. It's nice to see you at AGBT. Yeah, it's good to see you too. It's, it's been a bit. I like to, it's always great to catch up. Yeah, same here. So tell me, what's going on at the meeting? Well, I think at PacBio. Uh, you know, I think for for PacBio, one of our focus areas with the success we've had with the Revio system over the last year. I mean, I don't know. We we put we actually shipped 173 systems last year, mm-hmm. and so you know the world is scaling up with Revio, which is great. And so our focus has been continuing to build the end and workflow. And so at this meeting in particular, we launched two new kits to focus on to focus on automating automating the front end of the workflow, so that you can have now we have a fully automated uh, sample prep process sample and library prep process, so you can match the number of samples that Revio can handle with your with your front end workflow, making it a lot easier you know for people to to scale their research and. This is actually pretty important because we're we're actually seeing a lot of customers, you know, have ambitions or starting, you know, thousand projects that are anywhere from say one to ten thousand samples, uh, and so we're starting to see that kind of scale up of projects to really unlock, you know, unlock new biology with the long read sequencer. So that's been that's one of that's one of the focus areas for us. The other focus area at this meeting is. You know, we've launched, uh, just over the last few months, we've launched a whole new suite of informatic tools. And in fact, we had a major paper published in Nature Biotech in, I guess, about three or four weeks ago now. And that paper, you know, is focused on, on one of our new informatics callers that calls uh, Tandem Repeats. And it's, it's, it's really cool because what it does is what we're trying to do is actually simplify the informatic burden so that people can take advantage of, of all of the long-read data. So those are, at this meeting in particular, we're focused on how do we maximize people's experience with the Revio, with samples on the front end, better informatic tools. We have a full bioinformatic pipeline now that we've put together for human genetics, and that will give people, it will make it a lot easier for new customers to get into the technology. And, you know, in fact, last year, Roughly 40% of our shipments were to new customers. And this right. year, you know, I think, I think we'll probably be in the range, I mean, as much as 50% plus will be new customers, which is exciting and scary because you're trying to help, you know, you're trying to help the community get used to long reads. But what's so exciting is that Revio's enabled the community to want to jump into long reads. And so we're seeing, you know, we're seeing that as a big onslaught. Well, and I'm actually really glad that we're sitting down and talking about this today because not every year is the launch of an instrument, right? right. Not every year is Florida <laughs> and the instrument on the stage. And also library prep, the front end and the back end, I think get lost in the, you know, maybe they don't get the same attention. They're not as sexy maybe, 
but they're fundamentally important. And so I'm, you know, it's nice that that's kind of what you're highlighting this year. Yeah, those, no. those more iterative advances that make such a huge difference. Well, I think you, I mean, you really have to be continually improving all aspects of the workflow so that uh, you can enable customers with, you know, higher levels of throughput, easier workflow, so that different uh, skill levels of technicians and, and scientists can actually interact with the system. And so the simpler you can make the whole process, you know, at the end of the day, you know, our real goal is how do we get people to see biology they couldn't see? And how, how to improve the resolution into the dark regions of the genome, the, mm-hmm. you know, the centromere and the telomeres, and how to, how to uh, you know, really think about, take advantage of our methylation calling capabilities and, and structural variant analysis. These tools, right, just a few years ago, they didn't exist. So now we're, you know, we're trying to accelerate and build all that. But you're exactly right, it's the whole thing. One thing that's interesting, though, about this conference, right? This this particular conference, there's a lot of a lot of noise and and, and news about sequencing companies. You know, mm-hmm. I think Ultima and Element are the top sponsors, or some of the top sponsors. And well, and Singular had big news on Monday. Yes, with that's their right. new instrument. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. So everyone's, you know, the sequencing space is is probably more vibrant today than it's been in a decade. And I, and I think that's great. It's great for all of us because I do think I, I, sequencing is still at the fundamental core of modern genomics. And I think that's going to persist for a long, long time. You know, spatial genomics can, is, is getting a lot of attention, is interesting. And, you know, there hasn't been as much about proteomics at this meeting, really. Mm-hmm. It's been really sequencing and spatial. And I, and I think that's interesting, but over time, proteomics will probably continue to get more support. But with sequencing being kind of still the bedrock of, of genomics, for a company like PacBio, it's great for us to see all these other companies also kind of bringing the community along. Now, you might say, well, how can it be great if you're competing and, and all this? And, and that's probably true at some level. There, there's always competition, but... I think what we do is is pretty differentiated over uh, others, and that differentiation provides unique benefits to the to the customer. And it, it's you know it's the reason why I actually joined the companies because on the long read side, we can do things that no one else can really do at, at a scale and a quality level and a consistency that no one else can really do, and so that creates a nice spot for us to to build a company and support our customers. And on the short read side, the ONSO system does something that no other system can do do too. But what's interesting about that is the community still is trying to understand, like, if I have reads that are so accurate, I can see a variant down at 0.01% frequency in a sample. What can I do with that? Like, people are still trying to get their heads around it because, quite frankly, uh, but before we really launched a product, I think a lot of people were skeptical that we could actually achieve those kinds of results. And now we're achieving it. We've scaled up on. So, you know, we spent the second half of the year launching it, but then really scaling up manufacturing. We did more of a measured launch than a full on start shipping because we wanted to make sure each customer had a great experience, that we can manufacture the product consistently. And, and then we wanted to do some things in the back office, like we're transferring we manufacture, historically we've been manufacturing all of the short read products in San Diego, but now we've transferred up to our Menlo Park 
So we get better economies of scale, of course, but we also get, uh, we have uh, more leadership up in Menlo Park around operations. So we're, we're delivering a better product because of that. So yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, this is an interesting week because there is a lot of, a lot of interesting things going on. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with where we are and the new kits. The one other thing I would be remiss if I didn't talk about is in December, we started shipping our new Connects kits. And those are, uh, those, that's really a whole transcriptome kit using our concatenation strategy. And I believe that this kit really provides our customers with the definitive gene expression assay. And, you know, I've been in the gene expression, I was at Affymetrics back in the 90s. And when gene expression really first started merging at scale, and then, of course, uh, uh, through the early days of next-gen sequencing and, and RNA-seq and all of that. Now what we can do with uh, Rebio is you can look at the entire uh, transcriptome, every isoform at full length, for very inexpensively and at scale, because the strategy is each isoform is somewhere between 1 and 2 kb long, the read. And so what we do is we stitch them together so that you can take advantage of you know, 20 KB reads on a pack biome instrument. And then from there, so now you use that, now you're getting a huge multiplier effect of the number of reads you can look at in each run. And we've had over a hundred customers order the product already. That's, I think that's gonna be a big mm. deal. So we've been talking about that too at this yeah. conference. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I know I've spoken to Jonas before about how important the long reads are gonna be in isoforms and transcriptomics and just like what the, the new science that they're going to enable so yeah. that is really exciting you've been known as a long read high accuracy yep. company for a long long time and some would say that if you really are banking on long reads being really incredibly important the way to go why move into short reads where there's so much competition sure well i think look i think when you look out into the future the the market will, I believe the market over the next several years is going to kind of bifurcate or segment itself according to different, the, the capabilities of different technologies. And so what I mean by that is whole genome sequencing has been growing like gangbusters and, and there's been an incredible rise of, of whole genome sequencing, say over the last, say three to five years. Whole genome sequencing and germline driven genomics is really the objective there is to get as much resolution from the whole whole genome by you know its very definition and short read technologies just can't access the whole genome they they just can't and so as a result you're only seeing 85 90 percent of the genome what give or take and i mean people argue about exactly how much but the point is you don't see the whole thing and you don't see structural variation very well and you really can't see methylation unless you do other assays and, and very um, destructive type things to the, to the sample. And so as a result, I believe that as the cost of long read, as cost and scaling of long read sequencing has come into range of short read sequencing now, that there's this natural pull for customers to use long read sequencing in, in germline driven whole genome type approaches generally. That's going to be a massive market. If you think the whole market, let's just use 10 billion. I've seen all kinds of estimates. Yeah. I mean, we all kind of can argue, but if you call it 10 billion, roughly probably half of the market will be driven by long reads over the next many years. 
but there's still half of the market that will be you know short driven by short read and that'll be in applications where you're looking for you know you want to count a lot of things or you want yeah. to you want to look for rare variants in in a liquid biopsy sample where maybe the dna isn't very long to begin with and so for us, the strategy is we want to be able to access the whole market. And we want to be able to talk to customers about, we want to have a different kind of conversation. We don't want to talk about technology. We don't want to talk about, we want to talk about what science are you trying to solve? What are the questions that you're asking? And can we come with an approach of solutions that, that will fit the, fit the bill of what you're trying to do? So putting the right, matching the right technology to the problem. And I, I think if we can do that, and we can do it in an integrated sort of way with multiple platforms and, and for example, add informatics on top of that, mm -hmm. then you know, we can serve our customers in a way maybe other companies can't as well. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the principal reason. Okay, got it. And now you have said before that you also, in the future, I remember at, I went to an event in New York City. It was like an investor. Oh, yeah. Was that our analyst day, maybe? I think so. Yeah. I yeah. So. The, there was a, it was a hotel in Midtown. Yep, that was and it. And you projected kind of the, you know, path forward. And there was a very ultra high throughput machine. Yes. I believe in the future. That's right. I can understand wanting to provide, just like you said, like a full suite, like other companies do, where you could, you know, like you're a one-stop shop. Yeah. But also, given that there's, well, one, you know, the NovaSeq X already launched and, and shipping, and now we just heard yesterday from Ultima Genomics, which is extremely high throughput, Q60, very inexpensive. What are your thoughts about moving into that market, which is now also very... Crowded. Crowded, yes. Well, I think, I think the first thing is... So NovaSeq X is a great product, and, and of course, you know, the brand of Illumina is very strong, so you have to give them a lot of credit. But I believe the Achilles heel is the accuracy of the system. And if our SBB chemistry mm -hmm. is, you know, more than an order of magnitude more accurate than the SBS chemistry, and that accuracy, can, researchers can leverage it in different ways. Either A, they can look deeper into the sample and see variants that even lower frequency, even as far down as 0.01%. Or they can, you know, because the system's so accurate, you don't need as much coverage to get to the right answer. And therefore, with fewer reads, you can actually, you can actually get the answer you want, which means the economics can be even better. And so those are, that, that's one reason why we have a technology that we think is fundamentally capable of, of reaching up there. You know, if you look at Ultima, they've made a lot of progress in the last year, and, and so that's fantastic. But if you actually do look at their data when they talk about Q60, mm -hmm. they say in the fine print, if you read it, it's a, I believe it says, and you have to check with them to be sure, but I believe it says something like, this is Q60 for the areas which we can sequence. That says a lot, right? It, it wasn't Q60 for all the data. It wasn't Q60 for every part of the data for, for things that they don't do a good job sequencing, they throw the data out. Is that okay? I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. So it's, so you have to be, you have to be careful of what you see. I do think that Ultima they're, they, they're making progress. And I think that they have potentially the ability, particularly in counting applications yeah. to do, to make some, make some way. And I think, you know, the, the interesting question will be, 
can there be a diversity of applications on that instrument? Because it is pretty expensive. You know, when we launch our, our ultra high throughput system, it'll be much, much less expensive than, than Novaseek X and uh, Ultima. Okay. So, you know, we're, we're thinking about a different value proposition um, in terms of the instrument cost. And then we're thinking that at a fundamental level, the, uh, the quality of what we can provide will be particularly useful in, in high-throughput clinical labs, for example. Like, that's going to be our target market, right, is high-throughput clinical labs that, have, that are doing things like liquid biopsy, you know, residual disease testing uh, in oncology. And we think there's a nice market to be had there. The high-throughput market's huge. I mean, it's a big, big market. And so we believe we can build a strong business there. We don't necessarily think there will be one player in the high-throughput market. And so, you know, for us, we welcome the competition because we really like, we really like our chemistry. We think our chemistry is, is pretty groundbreaking. And we acquired Apton in August and their optics and their instrument is really pretty fascinating. And we've already, you know, just since August, since we closed the acquisition, we've already integrated our chemistry onto their platform and we're already sequencing at over Q40, billions of reads, two paired end reads. So we're making a lot of progress really fast. So, so I think we'll be able to get to that, pro, that product to market really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it will, it will be a nice complement to Onso. If you think about Onso, it's kind of mid throughput, get people used to the power of SBB chemistry. And we're seeing actually, uh, you know, our sales teams actually already increased their forecast for 2024 for Onso as we've been scaling up, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. And, and so I think that having both products really give us the opportunity to once again sell solutions, not just a box or technologies. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the logic behind it. We'll see, it is competitive and there's no doubt, you know, I really believe in our team. I think we have a, a pretty world-class team that has executed on a lot of product development programs in the past and, you know, we've, um, a lot of us have a lot of experience with running a multi-product portfolio into the market. And so I, I think we're positioned well. It is gonna be competitive. It's, it's certainly gonna be interesting from people watching and the drama of who's doing better, who's doing what, or what are they saying? Well, it definitely and it'll makes make my your job, job a lot more fun. <laughs> a lot right? of fun, yeah. It's yeah. been fun the last couple of years, I gotta say. My last question is there's also, I mean, the buzz here also, here and everywhere is multi-omics. Yeah. Element is talking about, or has launched multi-omics capabilities. Singular on Monday, now by the end of this year, they say they'll have one instrument doing spatial, proteomics, transcriptomics, and DNA. Is that in the future of PacBio? Look, for PacBio right now, we do believe in a multi-omic future for the company, but we see our market opportunity right now is focusing on building out the, the long read sequencing market and capability. There's, there's so much growth and potential there. I don't want to defocus our team at all. And on the short read side, we have such a unique product offering that I think we can, think we can continue to build that business and, and the combination of the two give us plenty to see growth as far out as you know, I, can, I can predict. And so right now we're focused on uh, the sequencing because the truth is we have real products that are growing really fast 
and we're serving more and more customers every single day. So I want to do that exceptionally well. Down the road, like we've talked about in the four, I do before, I do believe that PacBio will be multiomic with multiple different kinds of technologies, perhaps spatial, perhaps proteomics, perhaps metabolomics, who knows, right? And the reason why we will do that is because ultimately I'd like to see us integrate all these different measurements into into AI and into software decision support systems that help researchers understand the phenotype of a sample in a whole new way and the, and the genotypes and, and basically the measurements behind that so that we can help ultimately help physicians assess and, and triage a patient and find the right, find either the diagnosis or the right course of action based on you know, multiple different measurements, not just, not just the sequence or the RNA. So I think we're keenly interested in that, but right now we are very focused on creating an amazing products for our customers in the sequencing space. And if you think about the long read sequencer, it's actually multi-omic on its own because you can read methylation, you can read structural variation, you get you know, phasing with every genome. And so there's lots of elements that, of biology that you know, need to be explored with, uh, uh, with long reads. So I think we've got plenty to do right now. All right. Actually, last question. I lied before. That's okay. So thank you for being on our podcast. And I, you told me earlier that you have started your own podcast. So why did you do that? So we've started an internal podcast. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And, you know, one of the things when a company is growing and changing as much as PacBio is, we are, as a leader of the company, you really want to try to inspire people to think about leadership, to think about how they manage people, how to focus, and also help the company understand how important the work is that we're doing. And so I've started this podcast so that people can see I'm interviewing people throughout the industry, investors, board members, customers, anyone that's willing to talk to me, pretty much. And, and with the intent of, of bringing that to the company, because not everyone in R&D can see all the amazing stuff that's going on at this conference, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I want to try to do that. And the other piece, of course, is we started formally having people come back to the office four, four days a week. And uh, so I wanted to create uh, a creative podcast so people had something to listen to on their commute. And I don't know if they'll listen to me or not. We'll see. <laughs> But, that, but that's the reason why, and I think, it, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I love leadership, I love being part of something bigger than just myself, and I'm actually trying to help the PacBio team really understand what we're doing is for the community in, in, in pursuing our mission, right, of enabling the promise of genomics to improving human health. That's, that's why I came back to work after being retired, because I think we can do a lot of really cool stuff. So that's why. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much and uh, for the conversation and have a great rest of the meeting. I will. I appreciate it. Good to see you, Juliana. Take care. That ends this week's episode of Touching Base. I'm Faye Lin. Join us next week for more news coverage and conversations from the Gen team. We'll see you next time.